Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to worship here at Cooksbury United Methodist Church in the heart of beautiful Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens, and I serve as the pastor here. I am grateful that you have decided to join us for worship today. We have an online bulletin that is available for your use, if that's something helpful for you. It will contain our scriptures, the hymns we're singing, uh, all that sort of stuff. You can find it in the link in the video description, whether you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube. We've been going through a, a series here at the church on Jesus's parables of the kingdom. Today, we're looking at the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. And they're some of my favorites. And because we're talking about the leaven, I thought it might be somewhat helpful to share, if you all permit me, my bread baking recipe. I'm convinced this is the easiest way to make bread in the whole wide world. I love to bake. If it's not something you care about, feel free to, you know, mute for the next 20 seconds and then hop back in. But here is how I'm convinced is the easiest way to bake bread. Sometime in the evening before you go to bed, you have to combine three cups of all-purpose flour, five quarter teaspoons of salt, which is a teaspoon and a quarter of salt, and one quarter teaspoon of active dry yeast. You mix all those together and then you add a cup and a half of warm water. You mix it all around until it's super shaggy, cover it, leave it overnight. Let it do its thing. Let the yeast do its thing. We're gonna talk about that again too later in the service. Let it do its thing for about 12 hours in the morning. Set your oven to 450 degrees. You take that weird mushy ball of dough with all the stuff that it has in it, make it into a ball, stick it inside of, if you have, uh, I, I used to use the ceramic pot that was the inside of my crock pot. You can use a Dutch oven, whatever you have at your disposal. And you bake it at 450 degrees for 30 minutes, and then you uncover it for 15, and I guarantee it's the easiest and some of the best tasting bread you've ever made in your life. I make it all the time. We've used that same bread for communion here at the church back in the days where we were still able to get together in person. So if you have extra time this week, you've got some active dry yeast around, I challenge you, make some bread. Tag me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever. I want to see the bread that you make. And if not, I'm going to bake some this week and I'll post pictures of it too. There's just something beautiful about making your own bread the way that it smells and getting to taste it and eat it later. But I'm sort of getting off track here a little bit. We're going to be talking about leaven a little bit later in the service, but there's nothing quite like fresh baked bread at home. 
There are a lot of other things that are going on in the life of our church. We're continuing to do Wednesday afternoon Bible studies on Facebook Live. We have uh, email devotionals I'm sending out throughout the week, and of course, Sunday morning worship. We are in the midst of putting together uh, uh, what's called a healthy church team to discern what it will look like for us to gather back in person, Uh, but we've also taken steps to ensure that whenever we do reopen for in-person worship, that we will also still offer worship like this online for those of you who are worshiping with us at home. Uh, whether you don't live in Woodbridge or you don't feel like it's safe for you to return in the not-too-distant future. So know that this will continue to be available to you as we go forward. Uh, With that, again, I'm just so thankful that you've decided to join us for worship today, and I encourage you to perhaps uh, find a comfortable posture and continue to prepare your hearts and minds for worship. Lord, God, you know who we are. People with good and bad consciences, satisfied and dissatisfied, sure and unsure, Christians out of conviction, Christians out of habit, believers, half-believers, unbelievers, but now we are all before you. In our inequality, we are equal in this, that we are all in the wrong before you and against each other, that we've all done things we know we shouldn't, we've all avoided doing things we know that we should, that all of us will someday die, and that all of us would be lost without you and your grace and your mercy promised to us through your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, your invisibility vexes us, and yet, by the power of your love, you make present the bodies of those we might think are invisible, the poor, the weak, the tired, even the dead. Assault us with such presence even today, as through them the least of these, you promise to give us your presence, O Lord. Make them visible to us, and make us then visible. Make us real. Make us capable of feeling so we may think. Make us capable of tears so we may laugh. Make us your visible people, your light, your joy in the world. And as you taught us, O Lord, so now we pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I noted before, our scripture lesson today is the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 13, 31 through 33 from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. So hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed into his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 
He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened together. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn that we're going to be using today is number 451 from the United Methodist Hymnal, Be Thou My Vision. If you know the words, feel free to sing along. Otherwise, you can find them in the online bulletin. So join me. I'm going to head over to the drums. I'm going to play this song and let us sing together hymn number 451, Be Thou My Vision. kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened together. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus put before them another parable. Did you ever wonder if the disciples got tired of all these stories that Jesus told them all the time? Hey, Jesus, enough with the prodigal and the Samaritan and the sower. Could you just, could you just give us something clear, something a little more precise? When are you going to get around to telling us what to do? You know, I've asked rhetorically these last few weeks, as I've been doing these different sermons on the parables of Jesus' kingdom, if we're sure we want to follow this Messiah man. And I think that's a worthy question for reflection because Jesus, he never seems to shut up about any of this stuff. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And you've got to forgive each other ad infinitum and you've got to turn the other cheek and the, the kingdom is like a guy who throws seeds into his field like it's going out of style. But today the question is just a little different. It's less about the king of the kingdom and more about the kingdom itself. Are we sure that Jesus' kingdom is the one we want to live in? Because this kingdom that Jesus inaugurates in and through himself, it's not very impressive. If the kingdom were up to us, we'd no doubt pick something large, something impressive, something effective. Remember back in the days when we could actually have a parade on the 4th of July? Thanks, coronavirus. You know, the whole community coming out in matching colors, the, the firefighters and the ambulances and the military veterans and the marching bands and the fireworks in the sky. That's impressive stuff. It's a sign of power and even solidarity. 
But for as much as we might want to believe that's what Jesus' kingdom is like, it is definitely not. Instead, as the disciples and everyone else came to find out around Jesus, the kingdom does not come in a way that any of us would expect or create on our own. It's notable that when asked how to pray, Jesus tells the disciples, first pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. What's implied in that statement, though not necessarily talked about very often, is that God's kingdom is not naturally inside any of us. Which is just another way of saying, we can't make the kingdom come on our own. Instead, it's like a seed. It's buried in the ground. It's like yeast mixed into flour. It must be done to us by the Spirit from the outside. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed, teeny tiny, and yet when buried in the ground, it grows to become one of the greatest of all shrubs. It's remarkable. When deciding how to describe the kingdom, Jesus purposely uses the smallest seed known at the time, one that you could barely even see on your own hand. And that doesn't really square well with we, the followers of Jesus today. You know, we, as I said, we want something big, something impressive, something effective. Instead, we're stuck with this little mustard seed. Even for those of us who feel like we've got our theology all figured out, myself included, this at times can rub us the wrong way. We pray for greatness, and instead the Lord humbles us, and he works in small and mysterious ways. We ask for a sign from the Lord, and we don't get an earthquake or a windstorm. We just get a still, small voice. We want God to rule by just putting the right political leaders in office so they can pass laws that will make everything perfect, everything great again, but it doesn't happen, and it never will. We have this constant temptation to believe that we can make things right if we just work hard enough. We wrestle all the time with this desire to bring the kingdom into being from the top down rather than from the bottom up. And we think that we are responsible for the kingdom. We think we're in charge of the kingdom, but we're not. And we can't even really see it all the time. I mean, think about a mustard seed. It doesn't do anyone any good until it's buried deep into the soil. Not unlike a first-century carpenter turned rabbi who, after being buried in the tomb, rose three days later, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The mustard seed, its work, it happens in the dark, in hiddenness, in mystery. It gets tucked away under the good soil, and it becomes that for which it was created to be completely and automatically on its own. It grows and it grows until its branches are enough to provide nests for all the birds in the air. One of the other things about mustard seeds, something we don't think about or talk about because, to my knowledge, none of us are going out and selling mustard seeds into our gardens, is that there is a reason we don't plant mustard seeds in our own gardens. In fact, it was a punishable offense during the time of Jesus to plant mustard seeds in someone else's garden because when a mustard seed is planted and it grows, it chokes out every single other plant. It resists just about every attempt to destroy it, and it really won't stop doing its mustard seed thing until it's done. Like the mustard seed, the kingdom grows. It accomplishes its designed purpose in spite of anything and everything that stands against it. It cannot be destroyed, it cannot be taken away, and it will grow and grow in spite of and despite of whatever we might think we're doing. Prior to this parable, Jesus has been telling other parables. He's been talking about the the great divine sower with his field and the garden with weeds and wheat in it. And it's like he finally gets to the point where he says to the disciples, look, 
I'm going to give it to you one more time. The kingdom is not what you think it is. It's not military might. It's not parades of power. It's not the dominion of democracy. It's a seed that grows into a bush. Imagine the sun shining in the sky and the birds of the air need some shade and they rest in its branches. It's something I'm doing and it comes from nothing and becomes something all you have to do is enjoy it. And then, as if to drive home the same point from one other angle, he launches into this incredible parable about baking. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened together. Now, this parable is barely even one full verse in the gospel, and yet it contains multitudes. To begin with, we should at least sit for a moment with the fact that the surrogate for God in this particular parable is a woman, a female baker. You know, all the patriarchal patterns of the church, they don't really have much to stand on. In other places, Jesus refers to himself as a, a mother hen. Notably, women are the only ones who don't abandon Jesus in the end. And finally, without women preachers, none of us would have heard about the resurrection in the first place. And this Baker, her work, she's not just making a nice little loaf of bread for Sunday brunch. Jesus says she mixes together three measures, sata in Greek, of flour, which is a bushel of flour. That's 128 cups of flour. And when you get done putting in the 42 cups of necessary water to make it bread, you're left with 101 pounds of dough. And Jesus doesn't even stop there. He says 101 pounds of dough, it's thoroughly mixed until all of it, all of it, is leavened. You know, unlike the mustard seed, you can't take yeast out of the dough once it's been mixed in. You know, it'd be pretty hard to go dig in the ground to find a mustard seed because it's so small, but you could theoretically do it. But yeast, there's no way. The minute the yeast starts to do its thing, it starts to mix with the water and the, the dough and all that stuff— it completely transforms, and it cannot be reversed. The yeast, in a wonderfully theological sense, it's completely and totally hidden within the dough, which in a way means that the kingdom of heaven, like leavened bread, has been with us here since the very beginning. It's here with us right now, and it will always be here with us. It is among us. And no amount of badness, and no amount of goodness, can do anything to it. The baker, she's done her job, and now the yeast takes over. The yeast will make something of nothing. So intimate, so immediate is the yeast with the dough and the water that nothing can stop it. So intimate and immediate is the kingdom with the world that there is no way on earth of stopping it from doing exactly what it's supposed to do. But again, like the early disciples, we're left with this question because what in the world does it mean for us? If we're not gathering as a church weekly for marching orders, then what are we really doing if we can't make the world better with three easy steps? If we can't make the kingdom come on our own, then what kind of kingdom is it anyway? How are we supposed to respond to this paradoxical set of parables? Well, maybe we respond to them the way we respond to baking— with patience. You know, ask any baker, one of the worst things you can do is throw the dough into the oven before it's ready. And really, 
Good bread is made when the yeast is left alone to do exactly what it does. And please forgive this final declension into baking, but do you know how yeast actually makes bread into bread? It dies. And when it dies, it fills the dough with thousands and thousands of little pockets of air, of carbon dioxide. And when those pockets are heated, when the dough is put into the oven, the bread rises, the air expands, and it's like a miracle. I mean, bake some bread sometime. Sit down in front of your oven. Watch it as it, as it transforms in front of your eyes. It's incredible stuff. And here's the best part of the whole thing. Warm carbon dioxide, I know I'm getting sciencey. bear with me, warm carbon dioxide, the stuff that's made by the yeast, the stuff that makes bread bread, it's the same thing we make every time we breathe. The whole of the kingdom, it operates by warm breath. Jesus is the breathed word of God, begotten, not made from the beginning of creation, God breathed the spirit into Adam in the garden, the same spirit, the word ruah, it means breath and wind. It flows in and around all that we are doing, giving life to the lifeless and possibility to impossibilities. Jesus breathes out the spirit after the resurrection onto his ragtag group of fearful followers hiding in the upper room. The same spirit is breathed out on the day of Pentecost, filling the church with a mighty wind to go and share the good news with the world. Even what I'm doing right now, it's only possible because of breathed air when I speak. The good news in that is that God is able to make something of my nothing every time I stand to preach. In the end, God's warm breath is it's what it's all about. Whether it's in the bread, baking the oven, or the spirit poured out on all flesh, or what you're doing right now without even having to think about it, simply to live. Because notice for a moment your own breath. You don't have to will yourself to do it. You don't have to think about it for it to happen. You simply breathe automatically over and over again, just like the kingdom. Like leavened bread. It happens all by itself. And when that leavened bread, the bread of life, the one we call Jesus, is mixed, is kneaded definitively into our lives, it cannot be taken away, and it unfailingly grows, expands, and lightens every single one of us. The baker, her work, it's mysteriously already done, finished, furnished before the foundation of the world, completed by the one who breathed out his life for us from the cross, forgave us with some of his final breaths before his death, who forever now breathes and prays for us when we can't pray on our own, which is all to say that we are good and baked right now. We have been mixed into the flour and the water and the yeast that becomes something we never could on our own, we have been needed into God's kingdom. The only thing we have to do is trust that Jesus is doing his yeasty work and that in the end, when the smell of that freshly warm baked bread starts to waft into our nostrils from the oven of the kingdom, we will know that we are finally and forever home. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord, you have graced us with your breathed word, Jesus the Christ, so that we might be people capable of recognizing the gift of breath in our own breaths. Through your breath, you have taught us that breathing matters, and yet we live in a world full of hot air, with pontificators who believe they know how to make your kingdom come with their own breath. So we pray today, Lord, that you would make us receivers of your divine breath, your work in the world, that we might see your kingdom come and not the ones made by our own design. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, with the giving of our time, but also with our offerings by giving with glad and generous hearts to the ministries of this church. So I encourage you, as you're able to give faithfully to the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church, you can do so by giving online. The link for doing so is in the video description, or you can send a mail to the church, or you can send a check in the mail to the church, or you can drop off your offering here. Physically, we have a drop slot by the main office doors. But give, give knowing that God has lightened your life with the yeast that is Jesus Christ, who makes himself the bread of life for us and for the world. Another way that we respond to what God has said here at Cokesbury is affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So I invite you to join me in affirming your faith. If you know the words, join me. Otherwise, you can find them on the online bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Each week during this time of not worshiping in person, I've also been thinking of different imaginative ways of responding to God's word in the time between Sundays. Uh, And this week, I am asking us to think about uh, a very, very particular period of time, and that's eight minutes and 46 seconds. We live in a world that revolves so quickly that we often move from one thing to the next without proper reflection. So this week, I'm encouraging every one of us to resist that temptation by taking time to sit in complete silence. How much time? As I said, exactly eight minutes and 46 seconds. You can do so by setting a timer or just watching the clock, but find a way to sit in silence at least once this week for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And notice during that time, your breath. Does it slow down the longer you sit in silence? Does it speed up? Think about these things for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And why that amount of time? Because that's how long the police officer in Minneapolis pushed his knee into George Floyd's neck before he died. George Floyd spent the last eight minutes and 46 seconds of his life struggling to breathe. So let us never, ever forget that God first breathed life into George Floyd before his life was taken away. Take eight minutes and 46 seconds this week to think about your own breath, to be grateful for the breath you've been given, 
and to think about what's happening in the world right now. With that, I'd like to now offer you my blessing and my benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see that with every single breath, you are gifted with the presence of the Lord who has breathed again and again into you and who will never stop. For the kingdom is with us and will be with us forever and ever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. It's good to see all of you here worshiping together, and I look forward to seeing you again next week, same time, same place. Go in peace.